What a blessing it is to know that Christ has taken our sins upon himself and we no longer have to carry them. It is also a blessing today to have a guest speaker with us as our homecoming um, service. It is always a great privilege to be able to bring individuals in who have grown up in the church. Uh, those who are already a part of this church, it's a part of their DNA. And today we have such an individual. Stephen Groves has uh, grown up in this church. He's actually been serving in ministry in a couple different places over the past several years. This past year he's been over at Alive Wesleyan, and we were talking this morning. He's there for at least another year. So uh, what a blessing it is to be able to have him. Would you guys give him a warm welcome this morning? Good morning. I am so glad to be here. Uh, what a great church that uh, I was born into, and uh, what, what a great pastor you guys have. I, I just want to say for Pastor Mike, I know he's been here, he said two and a half years, uh, and I've only known him that long myself, but as a young guy in ministry, when there's someone that comes along and every time they talk to you, they're willing to just make an effort to be your big brother or big sister and encourage you and uh, just really check in. And that's what Mike always does for me. So I thank you for that. And uh, you guys do. You have a great, great pastor. Um, I am on staff at another church in town and we are uh, working together. And I am uh, so glad to be in Central and be on the same side with this home church of mine. Um, I, uh, I hear we're even joining forces with our trunk or treat coming up very, very soon. And I'm honored to be here. My parents were here until I was five years old. And when I come home to Trinity, I have so many memories of early, early life for me. Not just early memories of church, but my family was here when the doors were open. And so I have memories of uh, standing shorter than those pews. And I have memories of playing with the communion cup holders in those pews. Uh, I was handed this morning, I was handed a sucker as a reminder that I should sit still in service and then I could have it. Uh, so thank you. Um, these, are, uh, these are things that I guess used to be an issue for me. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, uh, I remember so well that your hallways that go around your sanctuary, they work like a track. And the temptation is to run the loop. And so there were a few people on a small occasions that would ask me not to run. And I obeyed those, those uh, small requests. I did not run in church. And Pastor Wiggins, he was the pastor when we were here. He was like a grandpa to me. And he would always scoop me up into his arms. And so I would run no, no. I would walk briskly to him and uh, jump into his arms and he would give me a hug. And I loved Pastor Wiggins. Uh, I got my first carpet burn in one of those hallways, but that was from walking quickly, not from running, not from running. I have a scar on this elbow from busting my elbow out on that sidewalk right out front. There's probably still DNA evidence. It bled enough. It's still there. But again, not running. I was not running. You told me not to. I didn't. Um, I have great memories of children's church here, of Pastor Link, and learning many, many songs, and learning enthusiasm, and some of um, the songs that taught us many, many good things, songs that run through my head now. And that's what the church does. We put songs like these great hymns and uh, like children's church, those run through our head and we don't know where's this song coming from. 
Well, that's coming from church when I was five years old. I remember vacation Bible school. I remember Christmas programs. So many good things here at Trinity. And coming home to Trinity is a lot like coming home for me. Um, my dad had his call to ministry. It came out of this church. It came out of things that were happening to him when he was here. We returned to this church many years later, and my sister walked the aisle for her wedding right here. Um, it was uh, last year that I came back in to Trinity, and I had the opportunity to be ordained on this altar right here. So neat, neat thing to come home to Trinity. And I love that there is a new service. I love this new reach into the community that you guys have decided to have. And it, it is so good that part of your mission is embracing the seeker. And I commend you on that. That is fantastic. Um, as I begin today, would it be all right if I prayed? Let's do that. God, you are so good. And as I have seen over and over and over, you use this church to allow people to meet you. And so, God, I thank you for Trinity, and I thank you for this special day, 99 years, this celebration of homecoming. God, this morning I ask that my words would only be a reflection of what you have given me, and I ask that today you be heard, not me. God, thank you for this blessing, for this privilege. In your name I pray, amen. I love South Carolina in the fall. I love that we are already seeing the fall colors and that the mornings are cool and the afternoons are perfect. This morning was cold, really. Um, last night we had a small campfire in our backyard. We sat around for hours. It's just the perfect, perfect time in South Carolina. You have those cool mornings, you have those perfect afternoons, the air is crisp, everything smells like pumpkin spice, it's just perfect. And there's this little game we play around here called football, and so everything about this time of year is just perfect. There's something so special too about the lakes and the mountains and the rivers that are all right here, and I think especially a fall sunset around this area, you can't beat it. October, the month of October, is reason enough to be here. It's just such a neat, neat time. In two weeks, when the time changes, um, there are lots of different things that we do around our house, and it kind of sets a time when we prepare our home for the winter and for the year ahead. And we do some things that we don't always do uh, throughout the rest of the year. We we prep our yard. I make sure the lawn is ready for the winter. Uh, we till our garden and let it rest. We wash the outside of our house. Uh, I just had to deal with a little problem with our sprinkler system. Little things that we don't do throughout the year. My wife, Megan, she does the same thing. She is a fall and spring deep cleaner. And she really sanitizes the whole place. She opens up the windows, lets fresh air in. Uh, we make sure we get those things done. We rearrange furniture. We evaluate what can we get rid of, what can we donate, what do we need, all these different things. Uh, when the time changes, we also... We'll change out the batteries in our smoke detector. And we have to change all of them because we found out in my house that uh, these are 
wired together. And so when one battery is low, the alarm sounds in every single uh, smoke alarm throughout the house in a different sequence. When did we find this out? About 2 a.m. one morning when we were fast asleep and, oh, wow, it's beeping in here. I think that one's dead too. I think that one's dead. Uh Uh-oh, this is not good. And so we know now we change every single battery. And we just add a little extra attention to these things, though, these routines around this time of year. And Megan and I, we seem to always do this in our relationship around this time of year. We always, for some reason, have big, big talks right around now. So seven years ago, I talked to Megan, and we were dating, and I sat her down, and I said, Megan, I would like to define our relationship, to DTR, define the relationship. And I told her, I probably should have asked her if she'd like to be my girlfriend, but I told her, I'm going to marry you. And uh, she, she agreed. So that was good. Um, otherwise, we'd be in trouble. Five years ago, we had been married for six months. And Megan and I had a big discussion to have because we had been working our small jobs right out of college, and Megan was going to be a teacher, but I felt so many different ways that I could go in my career, and one that I knew was that I felt called to ministry, and I had to see what my wife would think of this, and she felt very much that I was called to ministry and that we were called to ministry, but we had to have that talk. Five years ago. Two years ago, we had a very long discussion, and it wasn't an easy discussion for some reason, about whether or not it was time to start our family. And uh, that was a long, defining conversation that we had. Can we start a family? Can we pursue having a baby? Can we do this? A year ago, she came running into the kitchen and said, I'm pregnant. So we, we did it. We, uh, we, have, we were pregnant. And so now we have a five-month-old son, Fisher. And it's these times, though, that Megan and I, we had these DTR, define the relationship moments that were so significant. And when we took the time and we really just set it aside and we said, do we keep going or do we turn or do we hit reverse? What do we do? Those moments were set aside and now I look back and they are like these, these cornerstones, these times that match and, and, and mark. These are significant times in our relationship. And church, we do this, right? Today, homecoming, we remember our DTR moments, our define the relationship moments. And there are significant times where we set aside and we said, where have we come from and where are we going? And Trinity has had 99 years that we're celebrating, that we are, we are giving God all glory for, and we're moving forward. How awesome. And God is certainly working here. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God is always doing a work in and through the church. Always in. Always strengthening and working on the, the believers who have decided to follow and always using those to reach the world through the church, through the church. And God is doing that work. Ephesians 4.15 says from Paul that speaking the truth, this is the standard and goal for any church and what church should look like. Speaking truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then supporting Ephesians 3.19 
he says we should grow up to the full measure of who God is. You see, the work of God inside this church, inside you and me, is to mature us and to make us more and more like Jesus. God is always doing that work in the church. So as we walk around the house this morning, as we uh, check out all the details, we see how things are looking, if we're ready for the year ahead, we realize that God is doing this work. And we can realize that God's hope for the church, his hope for me and his hope for you, is that we would look more and more like Jesus and we would grow up in maturity in him. And so, so from Paul in Ephesians 4, uh, we find some very, very specific things that you and I can check on today. You and I can look at where we've come from and where we're going, and we can once again DTR. We can define this relationship. There are some things that are very, very distinct from this. So again, we're 99 years. And for 99 years, you have been faithful in vibrant, growing spirituality, your relationship with the Father. And this defines our relationship with God, a relationship that is not growing is dying, but Jesus comes to bring us life. And our relationship with God is much like our relationship with others. Megan and I, we would not be where we are. We would not be married five and a half years. We would not have a child. We would not uh, necessarily be pursuing the careers we should if we didn't have these talks. And she and I, we stood in an altar in 2011, and we said, I do. But we never get to just sit and we say, well, I did. Instead, every year, every season, maybe every day, not maybe, indeed, every day, we stand and we still have to say at some point, I still do. Our walk with the Lord is so much like this, right? We, we remember a DTR moment with God. We remember an altar experience, maybe one right here. Or we remember praying with a relative. Or we remember even a conversation that God had with us when we were alone. Whatever it might be, maybe it was a baptism moment. But we remember those things and we said, I made a decision. But if you've only built a foundation on I made a decision... You have found that those things are challenged. You have found that over and over and over again, God has said, will you still follow? And you have to say, still, I am making this decision to follow you. I will follow you. And so Paul, he even prays in Ephesians 4 for the growth of the people. And he prays for people in the church to have a growing, vibrant relationship with God. The key word here is cooperation. We have to cooperate with our God. A lot of times we might think that I do this and I try really hard and I will be a Christian and I will make this happen. Or on the other hand, we might think God has to do this. I can't do it. I'm sitting back. If God wants to do anything in me, he's got to do it because I can't. And these are both flawed, respectfully. These are both flawed. If it's just me trying as hard as I can to be the follower of God and I'm doing it hard, 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 I am going to do this, we miss something. We, we, we follow the rules and we have all this godliness but no power from Christ. This could be called legalism. It's, it's flawed. But on the other end, if we disengage and we're not part of the process and we say, God, you have to do this but I can't do it, 
and we step away and we just say, I'm a Christian, that's what we're doing. We're saying we're a Christian, and it's a nominal, nominal thing. So instead, we land somewhere in the middle. It's cooperation. We do our part in spiritual growth, and we trust that God does his. And when I am reaching out to God, something awesome happens. I say, I am following, and he meets me, and growth and change happens in me and in you. We recognize that we cannot do it on our own, and we also recognize that we must come to the table ready. Uh, I've heard an illustration about this before, and maybe you have. It's about sailing. And uh, I personally have a very complex understanding of sailing. You need two very important things, a hoisted sail and wind. That's all I know. Uh, But uh, to sail, you need a hoisted sail and you need wind. And I have two experiences with sailing. When I was in college, I worked at an all-boys camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And the camp was located in a valley surrounded by the Seven Sisters, these mountains that just basically put the camp in a hole. And uh, there was a small man-made lake in the camp, Lake Eden. And on this lake, the wind never blew, maybe a breeze occasionally, Yet we still offered the sailing skill for the campers. And so these campers would come out in boats about the size of a canoe, a little bit wider, and there was a hoisted sail that never was stationary. You had to hold it up to catch the wind or set it down to paddle. And the boys would paddle out to the middle, and they would wait for any kind of breeze. And they would hold their sails upright, and the the breeze would come, the boats would take off, and as soon as the breeze came, the breeze left. And the hoisted sail, the boys would not hold on, and it would topple over, and a lot of times flip the boat. And what was sailing skill for the campers became lifeguard training for the counselors, and we had to go rescue kids all the time. We shouldn't have had sailing skill. On the other hand, when I was still here at Trinity, when I was a five-year-old boy, I got to travel with my family, with my dad, on a business trip to New York. And one of the things that we got to do was we got to take a day cruise that went around the Statue of Liberty, and it was a lot of fun. And one of the things I remember was a huge, looked like it was out of the movies because I had no other reference, a huge sailboat. And I, I remember my dad telling me and teaching me that that boat was moving because the wind was moving it. And that was amazing, this huge thing for a young boy to see. Incredible that that happened. You see, we have to know, um, with, uh, with this hoisted sail and wind, we have to understand that sailors cannot make the wind. Now hold on, I have been in middle school and a youth pastor long enough to know that any middle school boy will challenge that we cannot make wind. But not what I'm talking about, not what I'm talking about. Um, but sailors have to trust that the wind will blow and then the, the, the sail must be ready. And so what we do is we do our part. We come to the table ready to catch the wind and God will make the wind blow. Okay, how do we do this? Um, very practical ways to measure where you are with God as um, you engage in the disciplines of the faith. And we have seen these in this place for 99 years. We have seen people who open the Bible. Why do they open the Bible? Because we know that God's wind blows there. And when we read his word, it transforms us. 
we know that for 99 years, people have gathered here for corporate worship. Why? Because we know that God meets with people, and he speaks to them and transforms them. Uh, Why do we pray? Because God meets with us. He listens. He speaks. He responds and shows us his involvement in our lives. We open his word. We pray. We meet together because we know that God will come and meet with us in a special way, especially when we meet together, a way that he can't do it when we're just on our own. And so we cooperate with God. That leads us right into the next point, that God also, as we define our relationship, as we look back and we see that you have been faithful, you have been faithful in strong and healthy relationships with one another. Paul says that we are to make every effort to maintain unity. He says that there is one body, one spirit, one heart, one baptism, and one salvation. We march together. As God's people, there is only one church because there is only one God. And relationships are critical inside our relationship with God. Relationships with each other are critical within the church. You and I help each other grow spiritually. Did you know that? Uh, Steve Deneff, he's an author that many of us know. He's in the Wesleyan Church. And he says that when we come together, we are like front-loading washing machines. Okay? Front-loading washing machines. Some of us in our house, we have a a top-loading washing machine. And we throw our clothes in, and we throw in our soap and our water, and there is a, a pole that has like rudders on it, and it agitates. It's called the agitator. It agitates the clothes, creating suds, and cleans the clothes. Some of us spend a little bit more money, and we got a front-loading, fancy washing machine. We throw the clothes in. There is no agitator. We throw the clothes in. It spins, and the clothes actually slap against each other, creating suds, and clean the clothes. Well... If you think about it, Steve Deneff says that we are like the front loader. There is no pastor agitator that cleans us all, and Pastor Mike or any other person that stands on this stage, they don't do the cleaning. We instead slap up against each other. Maybe sometimes we brush shoulders or maybe sometimes we butt heads, but we do this and we help each other become more holy. We help each other grow. We help each other mature. And uh, I actually... Uh, have an example of this. I have a friend, his name is Joseph. And uh, Joseph is a dad from the community that uh, I got called to do a funeral a year and a half ago. Uh, Joseph had lost his son. And uh, he, they called and I, I came and I was ready to do a funeral, to perform my pastoral duties. But then I met Joseph And I saw how heartbroken he was, and I saw how upset he was, and I saw how much he needed Jesus, and something inside of me changed. Something inside of me changed where I was no longer there to do a pastoral duty, but I was there to offer a support, offer love, offer Jesus to this guy. And when we had finished the the funeral, I still hadn't quite got all of this. And I was thinking that Joseph would be an apathetic to anything God or Jesus or Scripture that I could share to him. But he came up to me afterward and he said, I need you to pray with me. I need hope. I need a promise. I need something real here. And he wanted every piece of Jesus that I could give him. And I share with that, I share that with you because Joseph needed Jesus. 
But I learned very much that week that I needed Joseph. I needed Joseph because, for examples, I can't learn to forgive until someone wrongs me. I can't learn how to care for others until I have any idea what they're going through. I can't learn patience until someone tries my patience. And I can't learn to lovingly accept. I can't learn to love until someone needs my love. And over and over again, since that time, I have seen more and more, I need you, and you need me, and you need your pastor, and you need each other. We need each other in the church to grow us, to, to strengthen us, to mature us, to make us holy. You see, Paul says we're shooting for maturity, and that maturity is love. The more mature we are in Christ, the more we are in him, then the more we will be connected to the body. You've also been faithful in submitting to the mission of your church. For 99 years, Trinity has been on a mission to love the Lord, to love each other, the two we've talked about, and to love the world around us. He's done the work in the church, and he's done the work through the church. And Trinity has an awesome website. I found it before I came, and I found your mission. You exist to embrace the seeker, to equip the believer, and engage the culture. This is neat. You've probably already talked about it, but I see it immediately. You embrace the seeker, and you bring them in. They become believers, and now they're the believers that you're engaging. And then, we believers, we engage the culture. We move through our church. God moves through our church to reach out. How do you do this? You do this by being involved in faithful, gift-oriented ministry. It is the way the church is designed to function. In Ephesians, Paul actually appoints different members of the body to do one thing, to make sure that everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. We are all called to be at work in this body. We are all called to be at work in the church. And only when everyone is doing their part, the body can grow and be built up. And so we are called to be engaged in what we are doing here. And you have done this. If you are ushers, you help the body grow and be built up. If you're youth workers, you help the body grow and be built up. If you're greeters or bulletin folders or children's workers or worship leaders or volunteers in technology or offering tellers or office administrators or lawn care workers, you name it. You're putting your efforts into helping the body grow and be built up. And we talk about that, we talk about doing these things, and it sounds kind of abstract because, yes, I'm helping the body grow and be built up. But I didn't tell you very much about Joseph. I didn't tell you very much about the funeral I was called to do. You see, Joseph had lost his three-month-old. And my wife and I, at the time, are praying for a baby. We are praying for this baby that hasn't come to us. And all of a sudden, I've been asked to do a funeral for a family that's lost their child, and I don't even want to think about it. Uh, I've been handed a case study for uh, this family, and what I find out is these are not church people, but these are not right-looking, sounding, or smelling people for the church, that in a lot of different people's minds, they might write these off as people who will not care and will never get there. And I meet this family, and I pray with this family. I offer the, the funeral, and it seems like everything's going by, and I personally am going through the motions. That's when Joseph and I had our talk. That's when my heart actually broke and I realized, wow, 
I have missed it. I forgot to love this guy first, and I learned quickly. Well, after that, I leave the funeral. Fast forward eight months, I have been messed up by this one relationship with Joseph that has started, and it's only been my trying to call him a few more times and him never answering. And I've prayed for Joseph. I've prayed for this family that's gone through this heartbreak, and I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm asking for any opportunity God, please give me an opportunity to do more with Joseph and for Joseph because I know he needs you and I have to love him. Well, I, um, eight months go by, I'm in a store. I'm checking out with some groceries and I feel a tap on my shoulder and someone says, do you remember me? I turn around and there's Joseph. Do I remember you? You have messed me up, dude. Yes, I remember you. I remember you. And uh, he greets me with a hug. He's got a big smile on his face. Since I have seen him eight months ago, he is clearly on a less dosage of whatever drug he was on. Clearly, he is um, able to smile, which he obviously couldn't do at the funeral of his child. Clearly, he is doing well. And I, I talk to him and I say, hey, man, I messed up. When I saw you eight months ago, I didn't tell you what you needed. It's what I've told you. You need Jesus, and you need a community. I want you to come check mine out. And I told him about the church. I get to the church the next Sunday, and he is waiting in the parking lot for me. Joseph had the best day. He got greeted by too many greeters. He said, everybody shakes my hand around here, you know. Uh, yeah, I am good. Everybody wants to know. He got free coffee from a coffee worker. He, he loved the music. He loved the worship. He loved the facilities. He loved everything about everybody who just kept bombarding him. He got bombarded that day, and it was awesome. It was great. The next Sunday, Joseph is waiting for me in the parking lot, and he has the mailer because our church sent him a mailer, and he said, they wrote this for me, you know, so awesome. And I just think about, wow, look at this, you know. He got coffee, he got a gift, he was, he was bombarded with handshakes and smiles. And all of a sudden, Joseph realizes somebody cares. And Joseph, now one of my friends, he loved the church immediately. He was so glad to be embraced and over and over and over again, what I have realized from now knowing Joseph and now pursuing this with so many other people is that's what makes the difference. When you and I, we define our relationship with God and we say, yes, God, I am following. I am still here and I have come to the table ready. When you and I realize we need one another and we are working on mission, life is never the same. We, we allow for the opportunity and God brings the life change. And over and over and over again, I've seen it time and time again, Jesus is making his way into new hearts. Hearts that you and I, if we're not careful, might write off. But Jesus never did. And I don't know about you, but for me it's just so easy to take for granted what we have in church. I was raised in the church. I never left the church. And Sometimes I'm just blown away. God, he died for us. Jesus himself came to save us. And now you and I are tasked with carrying that on. We somehow are labeled the church, the hope of the world. The, the uh, group of people that is going to bring Jesus to others. It's amazing. We need the church. We can't do church on our own. 
We can't be a one-person team to uh, be fully mature in Christ. We need the church. We need each other. So, it's simple. The charge is this. For 99 years, you have been faithful. May the next 99 years be measured in your ability to love yourselves amongst each other, to love God, and to share that love to no end. That's the charge. Let's pray. God, I, again, I just thank you. I thank you for the faithfulness that is first from you and then reflected in this room. God, I give you all praise and I give you all glory for Trinity. I give you all praise and I give you all glory for your church. God, thank you for the chance to brush shoulders with each other, maybe to butt heads with each other and to love one another. God, thank you for the task that you have given us to share your love in new, courageous ways. God, we love you this morning, and I thank you for this church. It's in your name I pray. Amen.